Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Kara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Kroll-Bennett. And we are obsessed with flipping puberty positive. Puberty is a stage of life best described as a roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts. It happens to literally every human being on earth. And it shouldn't be cringy. It should feel, you know, pretty comfortable. Which is why we started this podcast and a newsletter and why we film slightly ridiculous but informative social media videos. It's why we have a brand that makes clothes that literally feel so comfortable and why we write books too. Our latest is This Is So Awkward, Modern Puberty Explained. We have built a universe of puberty positivity and it all started with this podcast. We are so happy that you're here. We are so honored to have on the podcast today, Melissa Carnegie, who is the founder of Sex Positive Families, which is an organization that helps families by providing education and resources with a shame-free, comprehensive approach to sex ed. Melissa has been in the field for more than 15 years. She has taught comprehensive sex education in the schools. She's written curriculum. She's trained youth-serving professionals. She's worked as a case manager for patients with HIV and AIDS. She works on the prevention side. She works on the therapeutic side. She's done so many things in and around sex and health education. And One of her many byproducts is the virtual puberty education program, Growing Into You. And another is this organization called Sex Positive Families, which is really just a deep well of resources and information. We were really moved 
when recording this episode because Melissa talks about this work in such a soulful, thoughtful, and powerful way and frames a lot of these conversations and caring for kids in a way that we haven't really encountered before. And it's just beautiful. So we hope you will find it as meaningful as we did. Melissa, we are so happy to have you here. We have long been huge admirers of your work. It's kind of like having puberty and sex ed royalty on the oh. podcast, Cara. Oh, wow. A hundred percent. That's a huge statement. Um, <laughs> thank you all for having me. And I mean, I've got a whole bunch of books back here. Definitely many that Cara has written. So I am... Oh. fanning on y'all as well. So thank y'all for this We could just spend the next hour mutually fanning. Yes. This is like being at a party with the homecoming court when you yourself were not in the homecoming court. I feel like it's like Car and Melissa were like on the float oh, no. and I was like in the bleachers. So I'm very honored to be in both of your presences. Oh. Presence? Prince, Prince President Sai. Melissa, I want to start for our listeners who somehow aren't familiar with you and your work, which will change immediately over the course of the next 40 minutes. Tell us about yourself and how you came to do the work that you do with families around sex ed and puberty education. Yes. And again, just thank y'all so much for the opportunity to get to share space and on these topics. It just um, makes my heart so happy. So I'm Melissa Pintor Carnegie, and I use she or they pronouns. And I'm a sexuality educator, a puberty educator, and I'm the founder of Sex Positive Families. And it was in 2017 that I started Sex Positive Families. That was after a little over a decade working in the fields of sexual health, specifically HIV, sexually transmitted infections, and almost two decades at that point of parenting. And so truly, I would say that my work is a love letter to and completely, you know, a mix of all of these personal and professional experiences and also having the lived experience of being a young person who didn't grow up with open, honest, shame-free conversations about bodies, about sex, about identity, relationships, and my own journey with myself, you know, around sexual health and seeing how I could do things differently when I became a parent. So yeah, Sex Positive Families is a sexuality education platform that uses the internet as far as you know social media and virtual workshops online courses to teach families about these very human things and it has truly evolved over these last uh, six and a half seven years however long it's been now it's truly evolved and become a movement a community of like-minded parents caring adults families, tweens, teens, all learning together about these things and trying to disrupt the taboos to raise a powerful next generation. That's truly what this is about. And it's just been a lot of creating many different resources to meet the ways that people learn. And one of our guiding principles and something that makes us unique from a lot of other sex education or puberty education programs is that we believe that 
families who learn together grow together. And so our education is always family style. We also believe that gender inclusivity, making the content uh, inclusive of young people across different gender experiences and of adults across different gender experiences is really important to opening up empathy and also breaking those taboos and and secrets that have been constructed around what happens with people and bodies and identities that may be different than ours. So, yeah. Okay. So we're going to get into some of the details about what you do, but we got to start with the name because sex positive freaks some people out. I think there is um, an assumption and it's a, maybe it's a fair assumption that your content is very narrow and limited to one specific corner. Can you talk a little bit about the naming and what sex positivity is and what it includes? Yeah, I could have definitely chosen something else, right? (laughs) Whenever it came to that decision, I do remember having an epiphany around that, right? I had, I want to say, So it was something about like talking, you know, I I had gone through a bunch of different when it came to that decision of like, this is going to be a business and, you know, you have to come up with a name, blah, blah, blah. But there was an epiphany moment of like, we're talking about sexual health in families and we're doing this from a sex positive place. We do not believe that there is benefit to shaming or hiding or keeping in taboo the topic of sex, of sex education, of bodies. And I've seen, again, through my lived experience of parenting and doing things very differently, that when we open up these conversations early and ongoing with our young people, we make it safe in our homes to talk about these very human things. I have seen across multiple children, I'm a parent of three, one is 24. She's a labor and delivery nurse. Amazing. That's and amazing. I know she's, oh, she's so amazing. And then I have a 13 year old son and I have a nine year old bonus son. And I've seen across, you know, different young people, the power and the connection, the empathy, when we can open up these conversations, not have them siloed. So keeping it super simple definition wise, being a sex positive family means making conversations about bodies, about sex, relationships, identity, sexual health, these very human things, making them safe, open conversations from the beginning. That was where I wanted to get to, because I do think there is this knee-jerk reaction sometimes to the phrase sex positive that is, it's like, Orgy-esque, you know, it's mm. like there's everyone this, needs to have sex right now. Right. No. And that no. is not what this name or what this phrase is about. It's about the positive focus. We have two ways of approaching sex education, right? And one is fear-based mm-hmm. and one is positive. And it's not that there's no room for talking about the consequences that might invoke fear. That's totally fair. Like STIs and STDs are scary and pregnancy when it's unintended is scary. And there's, you know, there's a lot out there that we can talk about that is not necessarily positive, but it's the approach to the conversations that's positive. It's open, 
right? It's open, it's engaging, it's inviting, it's non-shaming, it's not judgmental. It is positive. Absolutely. And I mean, the things that you named, for example, that maybe many of us grown-ups, uh, depending on where we grew up and you know, the values and all of those things, we might have been introduced to sex education from a fear or shame-based place or we weren't introduced to it at all because of what's rooted in our culture, you know, puritanical beliefs and silence, shame around these things. Um, but, you know, STIs and unplanned pregnancies, these are aspects of our life, right? They are aspects of our life. So even the approaches that have been taken many times on these kind of two topics from that prevention, you know, place, Prevention is rooted in control, and we cannot control many of these outcomes, these very human outcomes. So even that kind of um, reframing in this sex positivity and these talks, you know, comes from that place of acknowledging that there are many different aspects, you know, to this human experience, and when we remove shame like you're you're saying, you know, when we remove shame from the equation and we make it safe to talk about these things, then we can help our young people feel equipped, informed, supported, prepared, which then does minimize the instance of these outcomes that might be considered, you know, less desirable or that people might be afraid of. Because again, you can you can approach these decisions around sex and bodies and relationships from a more informed place, not fear. Alyssa, people often worry that by giving kids information about their bodies, about sex, about relationships, even having conversations with them about like, hey, do you know what porn is? Because we should talk about porn. They're worried that initiating these conversations encourages kids to go out and seek them or do them or engage with them. And we know, we all know as educators that that's actually not the case. And the research tells us that giving kids information delays often their engagement with these activities and these types of content. Can you share with our listeners what the building blocks are for sex positive education and why it is you think, I mean, we've talked very broadly about removing shame, removing taboo, giving kids information, but let's get like a little bit more nitty gritty on what actually goes into this information and why is it that giving kids this information, giving whole families this information can slow the process down or at least just make people feel more empowered than when we don't give them this information. Yeah. A lot of it, the foundations start with building body awareness, positive, again, shame-free body awareness. And so in the younger ages, I mean, really from, from the beginning, you know, that can just look like using actual names for body parts as opposed to euphemisms or pet names or nicknames, you know, so instead of, you know, wee wee or ding dong, you know, when you're talking about a penis, you know, just calling a penis a penis. And, and that can be hard when, again, many of us may not have grown up with that kind of language, our culture, many of the messages around using accurate terms for those particular body parts, <laughs> the genitals, the parts that 
have been deemed private parts, you know, by our culture, that could be hard then to understand how you make that shift without thinking that it's inappropriate uh, or not okay for young people. But again, research, what we find is that when young people have accurate information, the language, the context around their bodies, what bodies do, you can expand that conversation easier to talking about boundaries and safety, safe and unsafe touch, which is so important, especially building that foundation when our kids are younger. Um, It's not their job ultimately to keep themselves safe from sexual abuse. It is the responsibility of adults that are in the young person's world. And as a family, these building blocks, these are ways that you can minimize that vulnerability when your young person actually has the language and is confident and and body aware. They can better understand, again, incrementally, healthy boundaries, you know, so they're you know, examples could be, especially, you know, if you have sibling dynamics, kids that are, you know, closer in age and, you know, bathing together is a thing that, you know, your, your family does as far as like the, the, the kids, right. There's a curiosity that is completely natural and age congruent around bodies. Um, And so the desire to maybe, you know, have one sibling or siblings want to touch each other's body parts. And, you know, it's one thing if they're wanting to touch their noses or their ears, right. But, doesn't typically trigger, you know, people in the way, the same way if they're reaching for the penis or the vulva, right? A lot of parents, because of the ways that we may have grown up and what our culture does around these topics uh, or doesn't do around these topics, um, they don't know how to handle these situations uh, in ways that support young people's foundational understanding of their bodies, of safety of boundaries, consent. And uh, so that's what this education, that's what sex positive education, sex education provides for families is the context, the language, so that we can help our young people better understand how to navigate these kind of everyday moments and not relegate these conversations to hormones and we're waiting until puberty or until they're a teenager. And then all of a sudden it's really awkward. It's not comfortable because we haven't started that foundation. We're keeping a door open and that is the best thing that we can do. So you're describing a very virtuous cycle, right? You're describing a vocabulary, basic vocabulary sort of foundation for everyone in a family that allows for two things simultaneously. One is the sort of open lines of communication because you have words to describe something. And the second is it allows for, even though it's not the job of a young child to keep themselves safe, and I think that's a really important point that you just made, but we know it does. We know naming your body parts keeps you safe, especially for younger kids because, because predators who are grooming kids that know their body parts will leave those kids alone because they know those kids have been educated by someone who's willing to have open conversations with them. And that there's the cycle because then the kids are going to go back to the trusted adults and have the open conversations about how someone made them feel or where the 
where the privacy felt violated or where the consent felt violated. And even if they don't have those words, privacy and consent, they have a trusted adult with whom they've had these conversations. So there's like this incredible wheel that begins to spin just when families start to talk. Can we talk about the family that hasn't started talking yet? Because we have a lot of listeners who are tuning into this podcast who, for a whole host of reasons, are new to conversations about bodies and feelings, and their kids might be a little bit older. Their kids might be tweens. Their kids might be teens. So we always reassure those families, and we say it's never too late. But I want to hear from you. Can you help give a little bit of either scripting or really directive advice to those families who, instead of a five-year-old, we're talking about maybe a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old, and these are new conversations. Yeah, it's really just about connection through honesty and vulnerability. And so that can sound like, you know, there's something that I realize we haven't talked about. And the vulnerable piece is there are reasons why, right? What are those reasons? And so there may be some self-reflection that that parent is doing saying, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up with these conversations. So I haven't known how to approach it, or it's made me awkward or uncomfortable, or even if it's, uh, you know, what could feel like an even more vulnerable personal experience with some trauma related to bodies or, you know, sex, and it could be very triggering to have these conversations. So finding the language to just be honest, especially when our kids get to these older ages, they sniff out BS from a mile away. And so, you know, if we're not willing to open up and and that's there's an opportunity for connection there that to me is is just a first step is just being honest i recognize we haven't talked about this this being fill in the blank whether it's sex whether it's bodies whether it's puberty whatever consent whatever it is right i realize we haven't talked about this it's a really important topic i want to make sure that you have the resources you have the support you have the information When I was growing up, I didn't have anyone that I could talk to about this. And that was really hard. It made all of this much harder. I don't want you to have to have that experience. I'm sorry. And so this could also be another vulnerable piece, an an honest piece. I'm sorry that I haven't opened this up sooner. I want to do better. Intention, right? Put the intention out there. I'd like for us to have more conversations and make this um, an easier conversation for us to have. And you can say, it's okay if at first it feels awkward for us. That's understandable. I'm wanting to put in the effort. And then you can say, there are some really great resources that I've been looking into and been finding. So that way you remind yourself and you remind your young person that y'all are not in this alone, that this isn't about perfection. This isn't about having to have the right language and all figured out and all the things. And we can teach our young people that resourcefulness, which is an incredible life skill. And let them know that you don't have to know everything. Having a lifelong curiosity and desire to learn and want to understand and grow, that's a huge part, you know, of, of being human on this earth. And um, so, yeah, so I would just say, just being honest. And then you can let the guard down, not have to have a front, you know, and just be the all-knowing. That's the intimidating part. That's the unrealistic part of it all. So just being honest and setting an intention and knowing that this intention, especially if truly you have not really had this an open conversation, at first might be met 
with maybe eye rolls, maybe they're not paying attention seemingly, right? Because the culture thus far maybe has been set for that. So it's an opportunity to just crack the door open just a little bit and you can leave it there. No pressure. Don't pressure that now we're going to do the PowerPoint and we're going to cover all the topics. No, no, no. (laughs) This is just a way to crack the door open and say, we don't have to start talking right this moment. I just want to let you know what's been on my mind. What are your thoughts? And it's okay if they're like, that's weird or okay, or they don't want to talk any further about it. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, magnesium breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, magnesium breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. 
Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal, and even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter, and fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. That's okay. That doesn't mean you've done anything bad or wrong. You're setting your clear intention and it's planting that seed. You can walk away from that at that moment if that's where it ends up. And I promise you, if you then just have that intention in your spirit, right, and then maybe it's that you start to kind of bring some resources into the home. Maybe it's a, a book that you purchase and you kind of keep in your own family library or, you know, or maybe it's a workshop you will attend together. Or maybe it's something you're working on as the adult growing in your sexual health and your comfort level around these topics. And you find those teachable moments in everyday living that might come up, whereas you're watching a movie together that may, you know, have certain language or a certain scene that comes up instead of shying away from it or shutting it down. You stay in that moment and you use it as an opportunity to talk and you have to show through action that you're willing to create better openness together. Melissa, you brought up something that has come up a lot from our listeners and You've worked with thousands of tweens and teens and adults, and we've heard from listeners who've been victims of sexual assault, sexual violence. How and when, if ever, does that enter the conversation? Because as you say, like we're all bringing our own stories into it, and this is an evolving process over many, many, many years of being caregivers and There's lots of stuff we choose not to share with our children about our own stories and our own experiences. And yet we're carrying those experiences with us and those inform the paths that we choose to take. What is your philosophy on addressing those issues when you work with families? Yeah, great question. It's so real. And there isn't one formula or one right time or even a time at all, it truly is up to the individual. And and when I say that, I mean that I do believe that there are elements of self-disclosure when it comes to connecting with young people about sex, sexual health and sex education that can be really valuable when done well. The best case scenario is that we're coming as our whole selves Mm. to the conversations with our young people. And in that, Knowing our boundaries and our limits as we may define them is really important. And so ideally, if you've experienced sexual trauma, then ensuring that you have support around that experience so that 
if you decide to share any element of that with your young person, if it feels relevant to something that you're discussing or something that's come up with your young person, you can put some intention into how you may want to share that, identifying how relevant it it is to share it, right? Because just kind of being careful about those lines and not dumping, you know, things onto a, a young person, our young people that becomes a, a heavy load for them to carry. But I'm not of the thought that talking about our lived experiences and even lived experiences that have been hard or that have harmed us, I am not of the thought that that is off limits, that there's no benefit or no value to that. I think it's about how we may do that, the intention behind that. So, you know, if you're thinking about that, if you're thinking about disclosing or sharing any element of that with a young person in your in your life, I would say talk with someone maybe about that first, whether that's another caregiver that you're, you know, co-parenting with, you have a therapeutic space that you can talk to, maybe talk about that, what's coming up and make sure that you feel ready uh, for that conversation and you're clear about what you may want to share and why it may be relevant with that young person. I mean, I think all of us, certainly me, have had experiences where as our kids get older and older, this line gets a little blurred and they're young, but they're, they're growing up and they're navigating the world on their own. And suddenly they do become in some conversation, in some way, they become your outlet, my outlet for things that I will catch myself thinking, "Mm, no, I shouldn't, this is not fair. This is not right to put on them. Or I am using them as my, my surrogate therapist or my sounding board for something that is really a dump. It's not helping them. It's for me. And I think it's such great advice to remind oneself that it's human to sometimes do that, but to catch ourselves doing that and to stop ourselves, even if you've started down a road to say, you know what, actually, I don't even know why I'm going down this way. Like I'm going to redirect. I'm going to take this conversation back because it's unfair to the young people in our lives. Taking it back to what purpose it serves in sharing a particular story, is the purpose serving us to like get it out or is the purpose serving the kid to glean some wisdom or lived experience that we've had? And I think that's a really helpful framework that you offer, which is like, okay, what's the intention here? And if the intention is helpful and valuable, great. And if it's just like, I'm just like vomiting my stuff out to the kid in my life, then like maybe we need another adult. I want to get to the topic of gender inclusive education because I know that's an area that is really important to you. And it's an area that a lot of caregivers and a lot of adults feel ill-equipped to talk to kids about themselves. So We hear from lots of parents and educators who are like, oh, no, no, I got the anatomical vocabulary. That's great. I'm good on that. And I'm, and you know, STIs, great. I'm good. But I don't know how to talk about gender. I'm confused. I'm worried I'm going to hurt someone. I'm worried I'm going to be offensive or use the wrong language. I'm wondering if my kid is on a journey around their gender identity. And I don't know how to like, make sure they feel seen and supported. So Melissa, how do you go about that in a way, particularly for the uninitiated who are the best of intentions, but feel ill-equipped? Reel me in if I, let me know if I'm going in the right direction for it. So (laughs) (laughs) 
Just run with just run with it. You've got a kite in your wind, hand and you're wind? just like running with the wind, Melissa. Okay, so I want to name that in terms of uh, our work at Sex Positive Families, particularly with our Growing Into You virtual education programs, when we're talking about gender inclusivity and when we're talking about gender inclusivity in terms of sex education and puberty education, we're talking about including all genders in the learning, so in the learning experience and experiences of many different genders in the content. And that's unique because many times, especially with puberty, there's a binary way of framing it as like girl puberty, boy puberty. And then of course it just kind of leaves experiences of young people who have identities that are not on the binary out of the conversation. And it also sends a false narrative about bodies, you know, in that there's only two ways that bodies can form and develop and the narrative that bodies and gender are the same. They're not, right? Gender is identity and it is individual to every person, bodies, form and develop and change over time in very unique ways. There are as many types of bodies as there are people on this earth is one thing that we always teach about in our education. And so it's really normalizing the fact that there are many different experiences when it comes to changes and including identity. So just want to frame all of that. And so when we think about how we can talk about these topics with young people in ways that can be inclusive. For me, a lot of it is taking that pressure away of having to just get things perfect or right or fit into these boxes or the language exactly right. Because like you mentioned, if that's, there's a fear that we're operating from with any of this stuff, but certainly, you know, if there's a fear that we're operating from of getting something wrong, and again, it's about being open to learning about, talking about, being inclusive of many different experiences with these topics. And again, because so many of us didn't grow up with the language or this kind of understanding or this kind of framing, thankfully, there are so many really cool resources nowadays. Lots of books that are being created with, from that lens, uh, lots of information around gender. And so as adults, educating ourselves on what this can look like because the expansiveness of gender is not new. That has existed as long as humans have existed. This is really just about the language that has shifted and our current culture's climate, you know, around this. Can we get tactical though? What are some tips that you can offer that are practical ways for people who are confused? As Vanessa explained it, you know, most people who are trying to educate themselves on how to parent or adult kids better, right? So these may be, it doesn't have to be your child. You may want to advocate for a student or um, someone on your team or someone for whom you're a mentor. Um, and these adults are trying. What are some tactical pieces of advice that you can give adults? What are maybe three things, adults who feel really flat-footed on the topic of gender, what are three things they can do or three ways into a conversation with a kid? Uh, well, one thing, check out genderspectrum.org. Awesome website. 
that has entry points for many different uh, roles. So whether you're an educator and you're wanting to understand gender, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, whether you're a young person, they have these entry points very clearly marked. They've got great videos, uh, great content, because truly it's uh, learning about the expansiveness of gender and learning about it from people who actually have the lived experience of having uh, expansive understanding of gender. And so I'll just say personally, for me, I'm a non-binary person. And so to walk that back for some folks and put some context around that, I was assigned female at birth and I was assigned girl (laughs) as far as my gender. And that didn't resonate with me growing up. So what that looked like for me at the time, I'm 43 now, what that looked like for me at the time when I was growing up was being called tomboy because, you know, we didn't have language of many different gender identities. When I was growing up, it was either boy, girl, or tomboy, or sissy, right? There was this language, right? If you, if you didn't fit in a binary. And it wasn't until I became an adult And it definitely helped me being in this work that I was exposed to expansive language around gender. And as soon I I was watching an interview, it was uh, Dr. Donahue, who is a prominent person in the sexual health space. I happened to watch a clip where he was talking about gender and non-binary identity he was talking about. And I don't even remember exactly, but the language that was being shared in that clip, a light bulb went off for me. I was like, oh my gosh, I think I actually cried because I was like, that's how I've always felt. I've never felt like I fit boy, girl, man, woman. And so I am a non-binary person. That is an experience that is unique for me. Another non-binary person may have their own definition of what mm-hmm. being non-binary means to them. Just as much as if I asked, what genders do you all identify as without me making assumptions, if you identify with a gender? I identify as she, her. Yeah, same. As, she, and her. would you say woman as far as and your woman. gender? Yes. Right, yes. so if I asked you both separately, what does it mean to be a woman? I'm pretty sure you won't give the exact same That's right. definition, That's right? Exactly That's right. right. And so if we can understand that there are many ways that people can embody the identities of woman, womanhood, man, manhood, the same thing applies across the gender galaxy of the many ways that people can identify with gender and, and in these other gender identities. Um, so I, I want to just name that. And so I shared the first resource, Gender Spectrum, because it's such a great starting point. There are also um, some really cool books. One of my favorite educators, Linz Amer, who has a wonderful YouTube uh, queer kids stuff and just wrote a book for parents, Rainbow Parenting. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a book that focuses on those foundational years around gender, which which again is is, is so important because people can make assumptions about, you know, when gender identity develops and when people, if at all, are allowed to make decisions about their their own, you know, identities. That's a really great resource to kind of 
bring it to some foundational places of understanding gender and the expansiveness of gender. And then you ask Kara about the conversations with our young people. The reality is, is that so many young people today have such expansive vocabulary and understanding around identity and identity on many levels, not just gender. And so we can learn a lot from our young people. The question is, are we willing to learn? Are we willing to open ourselves up to experiences that may be unique from ours? It's harder to change your language around gender if you don't actually believe there are more than two experiences to gender. So I often find, you know, when people are like, gosh, I keep, I keep messing up or I keep blah, blah, blah. You know, again, it's not about perfection. It's how many ever years you've been alive. That's how long your language has evolved, has developed into these binaries, right? So it, it may take some time. So have that compassion. You're learning new things. If you're open to learning new things about other people's experiences and not trying to tell other people about their experience, then that's really a great starting point. Well, and so much of what you're describing specifically about gender is really applicable to so many things in life, right? right? I mean, it's about listening to people. It's about validating their experience and understanding that your lived experience is your own lived experience, but someone else's is just as valid and it's their lived experience. And, you know, I think one place I'd like to land, the place I'd like to land is that you are doing this work, which, you know, tethers itself to language and conversation and openness and acceptance in a part of the country that is not entirely consistent with that philosophy. You, you live in Texas and Texas has been the center of a lot of attention for all sorts of restrictive laws at this point that span education and healthcare. And maybe, maybe the place we can end this conversation is what does it feel like to be doing this work in a place where there, there are lots of people who are, I don't want to say on your side, because it shouldn't be a a fight in that way. But there are lots of people who who would nod their heads vigorously yes to everything you're saying, who are your friends and neighbors. But there are lots of people who are institutionalizing other rules in places like Texas. What's it like? Do you think that the fact that you live in a place that is philosophically not necessarily aligned is what's lighting the fire for you? Is it moving your needle in a way it might not have if you were living, you know, next door to me in blue California? That is very interesting framing of that. I don't think that my fire would be different if I lived somewhere else. And I have to say, as I shared in the very beginning, my fire really started from my own lived experience, which my lived experience is informed by being raised by Black, Puerto Rican, Mexican parents in Catholic culture, where these conversations were not open, they were taboo. They grew up in Chicago, so the the North. So I wasn't born in Texas, right? I've lived here since I was nine. So the reality is, is that we're, as societies, as cultures, 
we all have, even if we're in the most, you know, liberal or progressive pockets, you know, uh, geographically, there exists broader narratives that make these conversations, make these topics taboo and shame, fear-based, and they don't need to be. And so my fire certainly is informed by something bigger than just this state. And living in this state is not easy when it comes to these topics. Finding the schools, the communities, the parent groups who have that same fire or even spark And that spark often is, I just know that I don't want my kids to experience blank, right? From that lived experience, whatever that is for them, whether it's trauma, consent violations, you know, ignorance, sexual violence, not knowing about their bodies until much later in life, you know, and and all the damage that that can cause. So I think that just getting clear about the why and no matter where we are geographically or or politically where we're at, there's something that we can have influence over. And that's a key piece to this work that I do with families is because no matter what shitstorm <laughs> might be outside when you open that door, you know, to your home, or even, you know, if you're going to family members' homes for the holidays and they share very different values than what you are trying to instill with your children, you can have influence in terms of what you grow in within your own sexual health and how that expands out, you know, with the relationship that you have with your kids or with your partners. So that's the part that I didn't think that my thought process would would trail that way to this question, mm-hmm. but that's that's where it's at, you know, it's just... There's so much we cannot control uh, around the politics and it can bring you down. It can absolutely stall progress, but I choose not to to do that. And this work has been, it's vital, you know, to helping families and parents and caring adults see the power that they do have and the influence that they do have. Melissa, we could listen to you for a very long, long, long time, you are reframing something that is a topic, a world of topics that are so often cast as negative or fearful as positive. And we're all on the same journey with you, which is why we met you and instantly felt just deep affection for everything you're doing and putting out into the world. We're so happy to have heard your voice on this podcast, to have shared what you are doing with our listeners. And we look forward to seeing where things go for you because you're changing the world in amazing ways. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being part of this conversation. I just wanted to say, I feel empowered in my own worries and fears about making mistakes. I feel so affirmed by you because I will (laughs) still make mistakes and I will mess up, but feeling empowered just to go out there and give it my best shot. 
I do this work day in and day out and I screw it up all the time. So sometimes it takes somebody else's voice to remind us that we are fallible, but we should continue to to give it our best shot and be our most authentic selves in that effort. So thank you, Melissa. So, so affirming. And we're so grateful. Thank you for having me. Thank you both. Thank y'all for the work that you all do. And I'm just so honored to be in community with you all. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and getting all your questions. So anytime you want to be in touch, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for great puberty products like the Oom shorts or the Oom socks or the Oom bra, you get the theme there, go to myoomla.com. If you want more content, you love what we do on the Puberty Podcast and you want to have us come speak or learn more about our book or subscribe to our amazing newsletter, The Awkward Roller Coaster, go to orderofmagnitude.co. Remember, it's .co because we don't have enough money to buy .com. Yet. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com